Welcome to Grace Community Church On Demand, the weekly podcast from the Sunday services at Grace Community Church in Rupert, Idaho. Here at Grace, we believe in building the kingdom of God one person at a time. We're passionate about loving God, loving people, and following Jesus. Let's get into this week's message with Pastor Travis Turner. Um, But for right now, we're going to get into today's message. I'm so excited to do that with you. Uh, Pastor Travis and Tina are celebrating their 25th wedding anniversary. Come on. How cool is that? I'm so excited for them. They're in Mexico right now. I'm sure they're just having a prayer meeting, you know, right now on the beach. They're probably saying, thank you, Jesus. Some warm weather. It's great. Now, um, and I want to I wanna remind you, every time that I speak, I get the opportunity to just honor them. We have a culture of honor here at Grace Church, right? That's very important because... It's important to honor our leadership. It, it, I wanted to just emphasize to you, um, every time that Pastor Travis and Tina open the, open the doors for somebody else to speak on a Sunday, it's a sign that they care about helping people develop their gifts, and it's a sign that they are not tight-fisted with, um, with this space. Okay, you know what I'm saying? There's a lot, of, a lot of pastors who are a little bit insecure about that, but our pastors are not those pastors. They're tremendous people, and I want to give it up for them right now if we could. They're watching online. Amen. And so Pastor T asked me to wrap up this amazing series that we've been in on a true hero. Have you enjoyed this series? I sure have. So our focal scripture for this series has been Hebrews 12.1. And in Hebrews 12.1, the writer is painting the picture that you're down on the running track and that you are getting ready to run, right? You're poised and you're surrounded by this huge stadium of thousands and thousands of uh, people screaming, cheering fans as you're about to start your race, okay? So let's look at our, our uh, key scripture, Hebrews 12.1, and it says this, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of, ri- of witnesses, let us, um, to the faith, let us strip off every weight that, sh- that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. And so for the past several weeks, Pastor Travis has been giving us the opportunity to hear from the crowd of witnesses. If they could come down and speak to us as we're about to start our race, what would they say? So remember, we've learned from Samson. We've learned from Mary, the mother of Jesus. We've learned from the prophet Elijah, right? We've also learned from JTB, John the Baptist, last week. And so today... I get to wrap up this series, no pressure because it's been an amazing series, but I get to wrap up this series by talking to the same people who Paul is talking about in Hebrews 12.1. Who is he talking to? Us. Let us run our race with endurance, right? So I'm going to talk to us this morning. And my message, I know this is super unique and uh, clever, but my message is called How to Be a Hero. How to Be a Hero, okay? And um, so what we're going to do to learn about how to be a hero this morning, how to run our race well, is we're going to spend a lot of time in Matthew 28. I want to, get, uh, want to ask you to turn there right now, please, in your Bible or your pa- uh, paper Bible or your Bible app on your phone, okay? Now is not the time to check your snap face, all right? Now is the time to get your Bible app open to Matthew 28, and I promise I will give you time to get there as I give you the setup for it. So uh, we're talking about how to be a hero today. By the time we get to Matthew 28, the entire world has changed. By the time we get to Matthew 28, Jesus has been born of the Virgin Mary. He has lived a sinless life. He has died on the cross and sacrificed himself for our sins. And he has rose again on the third day. 
He has risen again on the third day, and he has spent the last 40 days with his disciples, explaining what his life, his death, and his resurrection meant to them. So we come to the story in Matthew 28, starting in verse 16, okay? Matthew 28, 16, find it with me. We're going to pick up the story there. It says this, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. That still blows my mind after everything they've seen. Some doubted. Then they came to Jesus and said, no, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Um, I know that I'm, I'm running a little long here, but I'm not 12 minutes over. Can, we, can you help me with the timer? I've got to stay on track here. Um, <laughs> I'm in the red by 12 minutes. I barely haven't started yet. Okay, so <laughs> how to be a hero. How to be a hero. What we're talking about is Matthew 28. If you want to be a hero, follow the words of Jesus. How to be a hero, do what Jesus says in Matthew 28. So my first point this morning, and I want to lay this out for you, I've got four points and a couple powerful closing statements. Um, thank you for your help with that. I really appreciate it. Um, so st- stick with me. We got four points and a couple closing statements. I think it's going to be powerful. I think today's message is going to encourage you. I think it's going to challenge you. I hope you're ready for it. So point number one is the same point that Jesus makes first. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. So point number one this morning is walk in authority. Okay? Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. He's reminding them right up front that he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Okay? He is the master. All authority has been given to him. So when he's saying go, he's saying, by my authority that I have every right to use, I'm telling you to go. Okay? So he's telling us to go by his authority. He's also telling us to go in his authority. He's telling us to go. There's a lot of versions that say, therefore you go, emphasizing the word you. Okay, what he's doing is he's transferring authority to us. He's authorizing us. That's a small word with a big meaning. Okay, he's authorizing us to go into all the world. So, and, and I don't have time to develop this, but as I was getting my message together, there's a really great parallel in Exodus chapter 3 and 4 where God is calling to Moses from the burning bush. You lay Matthew 28 and Exodus 3 and 4 side by side, you'd start to draw some parallels. It's pretty fascinating. So that's extra credit. You can do that on your own. So Jesus is reminding us that he has every right to tell them to go, and so he's telling us to go. He's also authorizing us. He's telling us to go in his name. Okay? Um, so let's talk about some practical examples. What does that even mean, to walk in authority? Well, the first thing I'll point out to you is that walking in authority means that you recognize that sin has no place in your life. That's one of the things that it means to walk in authority. Just knowing, sin has no place in my life. Paul talks about this a lot in Romans 8. Don't worry about turning there. It's going to be on the screen. We're going to be going back to Matthew 28 shortly. So Romans 8, Paul says this. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. That's what walking in authority is all about. Move, uh, continuing on in verse 5, he says this, Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. Let me ask you, is that authority or no authority? Is that authority or no authority? 
Okay, I'm going to read it again. We're going to participate a little bit here this morning. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. Is that authority or no authority? No authority. That's right. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Authority or no authority? That's right. Authority. The mind governed by the flesh is death. Authority or no authority? No authority. But the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. Authority or no authority? Right. Authority. So you see, walking in authority means that you don't leave room for sin to be in your life. So I want, to be, I want to just give a moment here. Let's be honest. How many of you have allowed sin to take root in your life at one point or another? Every hand should be up. If your hand isn't up, you're lying in church. Okay? I don't know how you were raised. When I was a kid, if I lied in church, something would come up and hit me. I don't know. Something would happen. Okay? But I want to remind you this morning, I want to tell you something. that you, This may be new for you. Walking in authority is not a one-time event that can be shattered and broken like glass. Can I have the vase? Let's give it up for my lovely wife, Jaina. She's bringing me the vase. There we go. This is my vase from home. Um, walking in authority is not like a glass vase that can be shattered and broken forever. I was, I, a memory came to me as I was getting my message ready about a time when my brother grabbed our big bag of marbles and he thought it would be a great idea. This was totally his idea, of course, to start lobbing the marbles up above the kitchen cabinets on top of which sat my mom's glass vase. And of course, you would get a point for every marble that you would sink into the glass vase. You would get two points if you didn't have to use the back wall as a backboard to, to bank it in, right? And everything was going great until my brother threw one marble just a little too hard and just a little too low. And it hit the upper side of the glass vase and it cracked and splintered the whole thing. And of course, we felt bad for doing it. We, we apologized, you know. We, uh, we knew that we were in trouble. We didn't realize how much trouble we were in because we didn't make our mom mad. We made our mom cry. So I don't actually remember anything after that. <laughs> don't know what happened after that. Thank you, honey. So I want to I tell you this morning, walking in authority is not like a glass vase that just can shatter and break and is ruined forever. Okay? Walking in authority is not a one-time event. Walking in authority is an action step. It's a choice that you make. All right? Um, and I want to I just tell you, if you have allowed sin to take root in your life, you can deal with it right now. If you're tired of having sin rooted in your life, let's deal with it right now. Okay? If, you're, if you want to get rid of that thing, let's take a moment and let's pray for that. What I'm going to do is I'm just going to pray, and I want you to pray in your heart. You don't have to uh, say it out loud. don't have to worry about that. But if this is you this morning and you recognize I've got sin in my life and I'm tired of it and I want to deal with it, let's take a moment and deal with it, okay? Pray this in your heart. Make this your prayer as I pray it out loud. Lord Jesus, I recognize right now that I have sin in my life and I'm tired of it. I'm tired of having it there. So Lord, by the power of your name and spirit, I uproot that sin from my life. Maybe you just uh, can picture wrapping your hands around that ugly sin and pulling it up out of the ground. And Lord, by the power of your spirit, I throw that thing in the trash and I ask you to fill the hole with your Holy Spirit. God, fill up my life. Guide me and lead me into all truth. In Jesus' name, amen. It's as simple as that. Can we give the Lord a hand clap this morning? Amen. Here's the deal. If you prayed that prayer in your heart this morning, you just experienced what it means to walk in authority. Walking in authority means that you recognize that sin has no place in your life and you take action. 
You do something about it. Okay? So um, another just really practical example of what it means to walk in authority is to share what God's putting on your heart with others, to share God's love with others. How many of you have ever been in a, a situation where uh, somebody is pouring their heart out to you, you know, they're sharing with you about something that re- that's really difficult they're going through in their life, and like while they're talking to you, there's this scripture that is just shouting in your mind, or this biblical principle that is just like bursting out of your heart. If you've ever experienced that, that's God saying, hey, share that with them. And of course, we immediately follow that up with thoughts like, no. (laughs) We immediately think thoughts like, I don't feel comfortable doing that, right? Or we say to ourselves, I'm not going to share with them. That's not my place. They don't know me that well. They haven't given me permission to do that. Or we say things to ourselves like, I'm in no position to talk to them about this. I have my own struggles. I'm far from perfect. Or we say things like, there's no way in the world I'm going to share with them about what they need to do about that because I'm dealing with that, right? Maybe you're dealing with the exact same thing that they're dealing with, and so we don't share. But, God is, but if, if, if God is putting it on your heart to share, just share it. That's what walking in authority means. What would our community be like if everybody who calls Jesus their Lord and Savior would walk in authority like that? And just, it, it doesn't have to be um, it doesn't have to be something where you start belittling people. You know, it doesn't have to be something where you totally change your personality and you start talking like some kind of expert. All it is is you sharing what God's put on your heart. It could go like this. You know, as you were sharing that, a scripture came to my mind that I feel like really fits your situation. Can I, can I share that with you? Or maybe it's as simple as, you know, while you were sharing that, it made me think of something that's happened in my own life. Can I share a memory with you, a thought with you, and how God helped me through it? Simple. Okay? Walking in authority means taking action. All right? Um, so that's point number one. That was pretty quick, right? I told you, we only have four points. So let's get, as we get ready for point number two, let's check out Jesus' words again. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. So how to be a hero? Number one, walk in authority. Number two, make disciples. Make disciples. So this word disciple, that's like one of those cloudy words that, that is hard to really define, nail to the floor. Let's, let's just make this really, really simple, okay? The word disciple is the same word as discipline in the form of a person, okay? The word disciple is the word discipline in the form of a person. So when, think about this. When you're saying dis- discipline, what you're saying is the disciple in me, Okay? When you think of the word discipline, you're thinking of the word disciple in me. It's just that easy. That's what it means to be a disciple. So, we don't like to talk about discipline, do we? How many of you are disciplined as a kid? Okay, we had some really holy people in the house this morning. We've all been disciplined as kids, right? How many of you have experienced discipline as an adult? That hurts. (laughs) Right? And we don't like to talk about discipline. We don't like to talk about making disciples of other people because we don't like the idea of walking around with a Bible on our head and, uh, and bashing people on the head with it, okay? We don't like that. I said a Bible on our head. That might be too, but we don't like the idea of smashing people with a Bible, right? So we don't like, we tend to avoid these verses that say make disciples because that's what we think of. But there's a deeper meaning. There's a deeper reason why we often avoid talking about making disciples. And you're going to connect with it as soon as I say it. It's because the truth is that we're not very good disciples sometimes, We don't like to talk about making disciples in others because we're not very good at being disciples ourselves. 
right? Maybe you know what that is in your life. Maybe you can just identify it. Maybe church hasn't been a priority for you and this is the first time that you've been in church in a month or more. We're glad that you're here, okay? If you're joining us online, maybe for the first time in a while, we're glad that you're with us. Welcome. We're so glad to have you today. So maybe that's an area of of discipline that you've been lacking in your life, okay? Maybe um, you know that you haven't been praying enough, reading your Bible enough. Maybe you know that you haven't taken the step of trusting God with your finances and tithing. Maybe that's a step you've never taken. Because we all have areas of weakness when it comes to discipline in our life, spiritual discipline. And I want to remind you that being disciplined, being a disciple, um, it's not, we're not trying to achieve like some level of accomplishment in order for God to use us. Okay? When Jesus says, go make disciples, there's not some kind of a, a, a quota that we have to meet or some kind of a checklist that we have to have perfect before we're called to make disciples. And thank God for that because, again, sometimes we struggle, right? Um, so let's redefine the word discipline for a minute. The truth is the word discipline has been misused pretty much like forever, Okay, and I've intentionally misused it here this morning because it's the common way that we use it. We talk about discipline like it's what we do to other people. Okay? We talk about discipline like if my kid steals something from a friend's house, discipline is what I do to that child. Okay? That's not actually what discipline is. See, discipline is not the consequences of bad choices. Discipline is me sitting down with my kid and having a conversation about how stealing is wrong. And discipline is my child taking their hand off of the toy and not stealing it because he knows it's the wrong thing to do. So you see, discipline is not what you do to others. You can't, you can't like, beat discipline into somebody, can you? You really can't do it. What you can do is teach them what's right. And discipline is what they do for themselves. In other words, I'm telling you this. Self-discipline is the only kind that there is. So when Jesus is saying, go make disciples, what he's saying is, teach people how to live a disciplined life. Okay? Now, I want to make something really clear. A lot of us were raised, a lot of us, some of us were raised, you might have been raised in a home or maybe in a church where you were taught that you better be disciplined or God doesn't love you. Okay? Maybe you were taught, you better live a disciplined life or you won't make it to heaven. Or maybe you won't make it to the best heaven. Okay, some of us were taught that way. I want to remind you that your salvation has nothing to do with being disciplined. Your salvation has nothing to do with your discipleship. Maybe that messes with you a little bit, but it's the truth. God's love for us is unconditional. His forgiveness for us is unconditional. There's nothing we have to do to earn God's love and God's forgiveness. Think about the thief on the cross for a second. If the thief on the cross had to be a good disciple in order to be saved, how much time did he have? Zero. But Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. So what I'm showing you is, you don't have to be a disciple in order to be saved. Now that might make you scratch your head a little bit, because wait a second, you know, (laughs) this this is is getting kind of hairy. But I want to remind you the words of Paul. This is Romans 10, verse 9. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Period. Okay? No substitutions, exchanges, or refunds. Okay? <laughs> you will be saved. So whether or not you're a good disciple, that actually doesn't have an impact on your salvation. And that might mess with you a little bit, but I'm going to chase that statement with another statement. Jesus didn't say, all authority has been given to me, therefore go and get people saved. 
He didn't say that, did he? He said, go make disciples. Okay, so we, and see, we have this so backwards in our mind because it like fits how we wish that it was. It was. We think that getting saved is such a huge, big, momentous step. And then after that, it's just these tiny little itty-bitty steps that we take in our life after that. That's not true. How many of you have ever led somebody to the Lord and then tried to disciple them after that? Which one was harder? Getting them to accept the salvation that's available to them or getting them to lead a disciplined life? No contest. Getting them to lead a disciplined life is way harder. That's why Jesus talks about it that way. He, he, see, getting people saved, that's a small step. That's such a small step that Jesus goes right to the heart of the issue. Make disciples. Okay? So we get it backwards um, too often in our lives. And I will say this. This might be a bold statement. But I don't think that God is satisfied with our discipleship unless it includes making disciples out of other people. Because after all, Jesus didn't say, go and get saved and then you're done. Jesus calls us to make disciples, right? So if we're not doing that, I don't think God is satisfied with our discipleship. Our discipleship has to include discipling other people. Are you challenged yet? I sure am. Like, we fall short of this all the time, don't we? And I want to illustrate this point with you. How many of you have ever had uh, a new hire come and follow you around on a job for a day? Okay, how, many, how much work did that new follower actually get done that day? Usually zero, right? How, now... Let me ask you a different question. How many of you have ever had an apprentice work with you for a day? There's a big difference between a follower and an apprentice. The word apprentice is the same as the word apprehend. It means to take hold of something. Okay, so a follower is somebody who watches what you do. An apprentice is somebody who takes a hold of what you're showing them, and then they do it their way. But a disciple, that's somebody who follows in your footsteps and does it exactly like you do it. So when Jesus is calling us, to make disciples. He's saying something pretty big. So like, for you, for me, if you're just a follower this morning, are you saved? Sure. But that falls drastically short of what God's calling us to. God's calling us to discipleship. God's calling us to make disciples in other people. Um, When I think of spiritual discipline in my life, I have a picture in my mind, and we're not going to show it to you just yet, but I have a picture in my mind How many of you have ever had a tough conversation with a pastor? Really? Come on. How many of you have ever had a tough conversation with a pastor? Okay. So when you have a tough conversation with a pastor, there's friction there, right? There's confrontation usually that's there. And it's not very comfortable in a lot of cases, okay? Can I just share something with you as one of the pastors of the house? It's amazing to me how fast people retreat when you're trying to help them. It's amazing to me how people will walk away from the table when you start challenging something that they need to address in their life. Maybe you're that person this morning who is a little apprehensive about being confronted by your pastors about something that's going on in your heart. I want to encourage you and I want to ask you to take a look at that. Ask the Lord to reveal to you why that is. A lot of times it has to do with the hurt in your past, but trust me, it, it Take it from my side of the table. It's much easier to just be hands off and say, well, I guess they'll figure it out eventually. It's much easier to just let it alone and to hope that things get better. What's hard is to go to that person and say, hey, I want to talk to you about something that I have noticed. And I want to talk to you about 
a better way. I want to talk to you about something that I feel like you're doing that needs to change. That's hard. Okay, those conversations are hard. It's hard to get your hands dirty. But we love people and we care about people. And I want to just reemphasize to you, if you have a pastor in your life who's trying to share something difficult with you, man, don't push that person away. Okay, uh, let's look at Proverbs 27.6. It says, wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. So our pastors are here to shepherd and guide, right? So when I think of spiritual discipline, when I think of pastors trying to have a tough conversation, I have this picture in my mind. Let's show it now. Yeah. So let me explain what's happening in this picture, okay? Pastor is the hammer, okay? The Word of God, the Bible, is the anvil, right? It's not changing, not going anywhere, not being reshaped. And you're that object in the middle that feels like you're getting pounded on, right? That feels like you're getting confronted, you're feeling pressured, okay? Um, I want to just remind you this morning that if that's happening to you when that takes place, that tough conversation with your pastors, what's happening is the impurities are being beaten out, okay? The rough edges are being knocked off. You're being made into a more useful tool. You're being made into a stronger tool. Look, there's a lot of things in life that I don't care about, but one thing I really do care about is being useful in the hands of God. I want to be effective for him. I don't want to come to him like a sledgehammer trying to chop down a tree. Okay? I don't want to be that way. So it can be an uncomfortable experience, right? It's not always this marshmallows and gummy bears kind of experience. But, of course, there's something else that is in this picture that we haven't talked about, right? It's the most exciting part of the picture. What am I talking about? The sparks, right? Yeah. You ever been in a situation where the sparks started flying? Absolutely. Absolutely. Proverbs 27, 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. You knew that verse was coming. When, one of your, when you and one of your pastors is going at it, there's sparks that can start to fly, right? Can we put the picture back up? I just want to tell you what that is. If you're experiencing sparks in a tough conversation with a pastor, what's happening is those sparks are your undisciplined life leaving the situation. Okay? Because again, remember, what's happening is the impurities are being knocked away. And if you're being challenged forward in, in leading more disciplined spiritual life, take that to heart. Be grateful that, the, that a pastor is willing to have a conversation like that with you. Um, might be difficult for you to hear that, I know. But the, the reality is that discipline is something that we have to take on because Jesus calls us to it, right? So we've got two more points we're getting ready for point number three here. Let's go back and let's ramp up by looking at Jesus' words again. He says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So point number three this morning, we, if we can change the background so that we can see the words a little better, that would be good. Let's talk about point number three, which is empower disciples. Empower disciples is point number three. How to be a hero. Number three, empower disciples, okay? Now, most of us know the word baptize. We know what it's about, okay? So it, we don't think of it as a big step. We think of it as just kind of like a check mark. Okay, let's, uh, let's go. Let's uh, preach the gospel. Let's make disciples. Are you baptized? Okay, good. Moving on. It's, no, there's much more to it than this, okay? And we're going to look at it. 
The word baptize is a Greek word. The New Testament was written in the Greek language. And the guy who wrote the Gospel of Matthew was the disciple Matthew. He was an educated tax collector. Okay, and he took shorthand. That's how, we, uh, that's how he was able to get so many of Jesus' sermons like word for word because he could write really quickly. Um, and so the word that Matthew is writing down when he says baptize in this verse is on the screen. It's the word baptizmo. Okay, and it means, or baptizmo, baptizo, baptizo. Yeah, I'll get it right. It means to immerse, okay? So what if we replace the word baptize in this verse with the word immerse? Because that's what it means. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, immersing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And that changes the verse, doesn't it? Changes the complexion of it, adds dimension. When we say we're doing some, something in someone's name, we're doing it on their behalf. We're doing it uh, uh, in their authority, with their permission. When we do something in someone's name, we're being their ambassador. We're being their representative. We're being their advocate. So when Jesus is telling us to, do, uh, to immerse people in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he's telling the, uh, us to immerse people in all those things. Um, I'm thinking about Moses again. The Ten Commandments in Exodus 20 is what I'm thinking about. We're pretty familiar with the Ten Commandments, right? Number one, don't have any gods before me. Number two, don't have any engraved images. Number three, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Now, we misunderstand that verse a lot. And I was growing up, probably you too, what I thought this verse means is you're not supposed to say, oh my God, or Jesus Christ, or God damn, unless you're talking to him. Okay? You're not supposed to use God's name as a slur when you speak. And I don't recommend that you do that. Okay? I felt a little uncomfortable just using that as an example. Maybe you did too. Okay? But that's not at all what this verse is talking about. Because the key word in this verse is not the word name. It's the word take. Don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. What he's saying is, don't take on my name in vain. Don't take on my name lightly. If you're going to be my people who are called by my name, take it seriously. Bear my name well to the world. My reputation is on the line for all generations. So if you're going to say that you carry my name, you better do a good job. That's what, Jesus, uh, that's what God is saying in Exodus chapter 20. So what if we took the word name and um, we replaced it with a lot of these key words that we've talked about. We're going to skip down to where we start replacing those words. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, immersing them in the authority of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. How about this one? Immersing them in the power of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Immersing them in the ambassadorship of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Immersing them in the advocacy of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Immersing them in the representation of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's an interesting one. Think about that for a moment. Immersing them in the spokesmanship of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So there's so much more going on in this verse than just baptize people. And it is talking about water baptism, don't get me wrong. But there's so much more to it than that. So how to be a hero? Walk in authority. Make disciples. Empower disciples. Help them to understand that they take on the authority and the ambassadorship of Jesus Christ. I want to lay a couple things out for you. Because of that, there's no such thing as a demon-possessed Christian. Because greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. 
Because of that, because we walk in authority, there's no such thing as an impoverished Christian because we don't serve an impoverished God. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, right? My God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory, okay? So we are the stewards of his riches. And whether we've been entrusted with little or with much, what matters is not the number of dollars in the bank account. What matters is how good of a steward are you being of the resources that you've been entrusted with? That's what matters. We don't serve an impoverished God. We are not impoverished Christians. Now, you might need to ask yourself this morning, and I'm not, I'm not trying to rub anybody's financial hardship in your face, but maybe you need to ask yourself, God, maybe you need to ask him, God, how good of a steward have I been with the resources you've entrusted me with? Are there areas where I need to make better choices with what I've been entrusted with? Powerful stuff, right? We're going to hop off of that. Because we walk in authority this morning, there is no spiritual matter you cannot address. Um, God, uh, it, the, Paul says in uh, Ephesians that God has given us apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Ephesians 4.12 says this. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. That's not talking to us, us. That's talking to us, us. Okay? Us is the body of Christ. Not just us. Us. All of us. We are the body of Christ. We are to do the ministry, the work of the ministry. That means you have spiritual authority to pray with people. That means you can speak God's love and God's hope into people. That means that you can baptize people. You can baptize people. Did you know that? You can baptize people. You can make disciples in your family and in your community. Jesus has authorized us, so let's authorize others. Amen? So we're getting ready for point number four, and then I've got a couple closing statements, okay? So point number four is not the close. I'm getting there. Just let me, let me get through point number four, and then we're going to have uh, a couple wrap-up thoughts here. So Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go, make disciples of all nations, immersing them in the authority of, of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So point number four is teach obedience. We're not going to beat this to death, but let me just ask you a question. How good of a disciple are you being if you're not being obedient to God's word? How, how obedient are you being if you're going to call yourself a disciple of Jesus Christ? It matters. Maybe you can identify areas where you're not obeying God's word in your life. Let's deal with it. Okay? Let's take care of it. And I want to remind you of something else. Teaching obedience. You know, maybe you were raised with parents or in a school or maybe even in a church where the only way that they knew to teach you something was to scold you. Okay, you don't have to scold somebody to teach them something. Okay, don't let that be you. If somebody's confiding in you about something that's going on in your life, don't, don't beat them over the head and scold them. They don't need your help feeling bad for what they've done. Okay, you don't need to say things like, what's wrong with you? You know better than that. How dare you, you know, shame on you. That's scolding. They don't, that's not helping them at all. How about you say something instructive to them that's going to help them along? Something like, when did you know that that was the wrong thing to do? How about something like, what are you going to do now? How about something like, what did you learn from that? And if you have a strong relationship with somebody, sure. It's okay to challenge them. Listen, you really blew it. You're better than that. What kind of an example does that set to everybody else who's looking up to you? There's nothing wrong with saying those things, but you have to do it the right way. Okay, don't scold people. How to be a hero. 
Walk in authority, make disciples, empower disciples, and teach obedience. The words of Jesus. And I want to just point out just a couple more things. I'm getting ready to close. Two, two powerful things I want you to look at. Number one, the structure is critical. The order that Jesus gave us these steps in is absolutely essential. Let me give you an example of why. If you try to make disciples out of somebody, make a disciple out of somebody, but they don't even care about that discipleship. If you try to make them walk in obedience to the word of God, but they don't even care about being a disciple, it's fruitless. How about this? You're trying to make disciples out of somebody, but your life doesn't represent what you're telling them. You can't get these things out of order. You've got to walk in authority first. Okay? How about this? You're trying to get somebody all excited and impassioned about God. Okay? You're trying to help them understand that they walk in spiritual authority. But you haven't had that difficult conversation where you tell them that they probably need to stop sleeping with their girlfriend if they're going to call themselves a disciple of Jesus. Okay? These steps have to happen in order. You have to walk in authority you have to, and then the next step is make disciples. The following step is to immerse them in the power and authority of his name. And then the fourth one is to teach them obedience. That's the, that's the order. If you get that out of order, it doesn't work. All right, so my closings, it's a story. And then a closing thought. Um, at the end of Jesus' words, he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, immersing them in the authority of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And then he says this. This is powerful. And surely I am with you to the very end of the age. The Bible tells us that while Jesus was giving these remarks, he started levitating off the ground. Have you ever seen any uh, representations or like portrayals of this scene? Movies or, or dramas or anything? At my old church, they had a, an Easter Sunday presentation where they, where they demonstrated this. So Jesus has this rigging harness. I'll never forget this. He's got this rigging harness up. And as he's starting to speak, he starts levitating into the air, into heaven, while he's giving these remarks. And while he's levitating into, these heaven, into heaven, these paint buckets start descending from heaven as a counterweight to Jesus' rigging harness. And so you've got Jesus rising up into heaven and the heavenly paint buckets coming down. And you know that moment when you're not supposed to be laughing? And like you're holding it in and your shoulders start doing this thing? I'll never forget it. Whenever I read this passage. I'm always going to think about the holy heavenly paint buckets. But here's the deal. The last thing I want to share with you. You may feel like this whole message doesn't apply to you. You may feel like you're disqualified from everything that we've talked about today. Okay? Maybe it's a choice that you made a long time ago that you feel like really derailed your life. Derailed where God wanted you to go. Maybe something happened to you. Maybe somebody made a choice that really impacted you. And you feel like you could never recover from it. I want to put this on the table with you this morning. Divorced people can be a hero. Ladies who have had abortions and men who have paid for them can be a hero. People who have abandoned their kids can be a hero. People who have turned their back on God can be a hero. People who feel like they have nothing to offer can be a hero. How is all that possible? Because Jesus said, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And he meant it. See, you may think that you walked away from God a long time ago. 
you may think that you left him in the dust. The truth is that he walked with you every step. You may be the person who thinks that God walked away from you a long time ago. But if you would just turn around, you'd recognize and see that he's right there. God has not abandoned you. God has not left you in the dust. And you cannot walk far enough away from him because he walks with you. You are one decision away from being in right standing in relationship with God again. So we're going to take the opportunity to give you that, to give you that opening, that window. Maybe you recognize this morning as I've been speaking that you need to give your heart to God. Maybe it's for the first time. Maybe it's that you've wandered away from him and you need to return to him. Maybe you've sat through this part of our, of our service a hundred times and you still have not been the person who says, yeah, I need to turn my heart back to God. There's some things I need to give up. There's some things, things I need to surrender. Now is your time. Now is your moment. Do you think that God wants you to stay where you're at or do you think that he wants you to surrender and move forward and deepen your relationship with him? So we're going we're gonna to do that together, okay? We're going to give you the opportunity. If you want to give your heart to God for the first time or you want to recommit your life to him, I want you to put your hand in the air boldly so that we can pray with you this morning. Anybody in the house want to do that? We're going to come around you. We're going to support you. People whose hands aren't up right now, it just means that they've already done this. Is there anybody here this morning who wants to make a recommitment or, or a first-time commitment to the Lord? Everybody's good. No hands are going up. That's okay. That's fine if you mean it. If your hand isn't up because you know that you're in right standing with God, praise God for that, right? How many of you know that it's so good to be in God's, to, to have peace in your heart with God? Amen. But I'm just going to ask you one more time because it really matters. Do you need to recommit your life to God? Or to commit your life to God for the first time. Okay. So that means that we're all good. God is good, isn't he? God is amazing. Amen. So let's go be a hero. Let's, let's share the word of God with the world. Let's walk in authority. Let's make disciples. Let's empower them. And let's teach them obedience. Let's be who God's called us to be. Amen. That's it for today's teaching. Hey, here's an idea. Share today's message with a friend or family member. If you're listening from outside our fellowship, we'd love to meet you. Visit graceid.org and hit the contact form to get in touch. We'd also love for you to join us. You can even check us out on Facebook Live by searching Facebook for Grace Church Rupert ID. Learn more and plug in at graceid.org. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Grace Community Church.